Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Jewish Reaction presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Elliot Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad, the National Jewish Council for Disabilities. I want to welcome you uh, to this edition of the Jewish Reaction. Of course, you can find us online at NachumSiegel.com every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, immediately following JM and the AM as we try to bring you uh, some different perspectives of things that are happening uh, within the broad uh, Orthodox and OU uh, community. We have a incredible guest joining us today, a truly fascinating story, uh, something that hopefully we can all draw uh, some inspiration, chizuk, and excitement from hearing. Um, and we'll get into that in just a second, but I just want to thank our upcoming guest uh, for choosing today's music, uh, all of which is going to be coming from God Elbaz.
You're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU. My name is Eli Hagler, I'm the Associate Director of Yachad, and I'd like, I'm very excited to welcome my guest today. Uh, my guest today is Ariella Barker, uh, who is on the phone uh, in, her, in her home in North Carolina, uh, and we'll get into the story a little bit uh, going forward. Uh, Ariella, welcome to the Jewish Reaction. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to have you. i got to tell you the truth. I think, I mean, you and I spoke a few weeks ago uh, for maybe an hour on the phone, and I think your story and how you got to where you are and how you've done what you've done uh, is truly fascinating. Um, so I guess if it's okay with you, I'm just going to ask for maybe a minute or two to give the quick uh, background of who you are, where you're from, and how you became who and what you are, and then we'll, you know, get a little more into the details of your story. Sure. I guess I have um, kind of an interesting story, more so than, um, I guess, most people that you would meet. I um, I was born in upstate New York and um, eventually came down to North Carolina, but in between the time that I was born in New York and came to North Carolina, I actually for um, a very short period of time, lived in Nigeria, which I don't think I mentioned to you in that, in that conversation, but um, lived in Nigeria, had a very bad experience because um, Nigeria is um, not a very safe place to live. And um, I can, we were violently robbed and I contracted malaria. And so we moved to Charlotte because my grandparents had moved there. So that's how my family ended up coming from New York to Charlotte, and that's how I ended up in Charlotte. And I was raised um, born-again Christian. Um, you would say I was in a very from home, only it was a Christian home. And um, growing up, I didn't necessarily agree or like the religion that I was raised in, but out of respect for my elders and my parents, I I went along with it. Now, to add on to um, that layer of of religion and who I am, I also was diagnosed at the age of three, right after I came back from Nigeria, um, with a very rare um, genetic neuromuscular disorder called spinal muscular atrophy. And um, what that is, is it's a progressive neuromuscular disorder that um, affects mainly the shoulders and the hip muscles um, and also the motor neurons of the body, and it weakens those muscles until eventually you become confined to a wheelchair, which I did at the age of 11, and then it plateaus at some point in time, which it plateaued for me at the age of 12. And so um, I became confined to a wheelchair at the age of 11, which is pretty much the worst time that you could ever have anything like that happen to you because middle school is the worst time for anyone ever in anyone's <laughs> right. life. It's like the awkward period. You know, you're awkward, you're ugly, you're going, you know, you're pubescent. No one looks good during that period of time. and. All the kids pick on you, whether you're able-bodied or not. And so here I am, you know, awkward with braces on, and now I'm in a wheelchair, so I'm extra picked on. And um, it was just a very difficult part 
of my life. I knew I was always going to be in a wheelchair, but it didn't make it any easier when the time came. So, um, but I always knew that I had dreams, and my dream was to be a lawyer. And I knew that in order to be that lawyer, I had to be independent, and I had to find a way to do it. And so I made sure that I I did that, that I accomplished my dreams. And so I found a way to be independent. I got a motorized wheelchair, and I refused my mother's help, and I found a way to do all my own transfers. And, um, and I ended up graduating. I ended up taking all that frustration from kids picking on me and not being accepted by my peers, and I took it all out in my studies and um, ended up doing very well and going to top universities. And when I was in law school at Emory University, I had a fluke thing happen to me. I had a kidney stone, and um, it was too big to pass, and I had to have surgery, and the surgery was botched, and I had to have four surgeries afterwards in order to correct it. And I was in the I was in my second year. I was in the middle of finals and the second semester starting. And I had to go to each of my professors, and all of them were pretty much ambivalent to my story and just told me to get note takers. And I had one professor who I waited to tell my story to until last, and that was because he intimidated me because of his sheer brilliance. And also because he was an Orthodox Jew and the first Orthodox Jew I had ever met. And I had a lot of reverence and a lot of magnetic attraction towards Jews. I felt this connection toward the Jewish people that I had never felt towards anyone in my life. Like when I learned about the Holocaust, all I could do was sob like I had seen my own family die. There was just something very special and very, um, I don't know, there was just something there with me. Anytime I had ever met someone and had a very, very strong connection to them, it always ended up that they were Jewish. And so for him, I waited until last to tell him because I did feel that connection with him, but I also felt very intimidated by him because he was so smart. And he stopped me in the middle of my speech, and and unlike all my other professors who were ambivalent, he stopped me and he said, do you need anything? Do you need any help? Do you need any food? Do you need visitors? What can I do to help you? And for the first time in my life, I met someone whose outward appearance, whose clothing, whose modest appearance matched who they were on the inside. And I realized this is the type of person that I want to be. And so I decided at that point that I wanted to become a Jew and I wanted to be an Orthodox Jew. And so I took his Jewish law class the following year and decided to convert Orthodox and um, moved to New York the following year because I got a job in New York and found a rabbi and converted Orthodox and have ever since been an Orthodox Jew, and um, I made Aliyah afterwards and unfortunately got sick while I was in Israel and had to move back down to North Carolina to be with my family 
um, because of being sick. So I've been quite isolated in North Carolina where there are very few Jews. But um, I'm hoping um, soon with time I'll be able to be in a bigger Jewish community. But that's why I'm I'm back here. Um, And that is about as short as I could have made my story. <laughs> you did a great job, Ariel. I think, I mean, there's, there's so much more uh, to the story, and I, I don't know if we'll have time for all of it. Maybe we'll do a second show, but there's so much backstory to it. Um, I, I guess my the first question that I have for you is, are you still in touch with that professor who had such a profound effect on you? Um, and then again, when we were talking, speak a little bit more about the difficulties that you in your particular case had with the conversion and, you know, living in Manhattan as somebody who's wheelchair bound. So I actually am in touch with that professor or that rabbi, and I just met Pesach of him in New York. Um, And he has, we were out of touch for a very long time. Um, And I just happened to become in touch with his son um, who, when I was in law school, was just a, a child. Like he was a, a child. He was. He had just been bar mitzvahed when I was in law school, and then and now he's you know a grown man. He's like 23 now, and I just become in touch with him, and I sent him. I had written a blog post about why I converted, and and it told the story of of his father and so he sent that blog post to his dad and so his dad said I I had no idea that I had had that effect on her so I was really happy that the message got back to him because he didn't know what effect he had and and my blog post was really about how you know we as Jews are our main commandment, our main goal in life is to be a light into the world. And he really was a light into the world because in being a light into the world, we can draw other people closer to God. And that's what he did in my situation. So he's been very helpful to me. Um, I just, I, I was just hired to be a professor of law at Charlotte School of Law, and he helped me um in getting ready for the interview, and he's helped me just now, ever since I got, I reconnected with him, he's helped me, you know, give me guidance and talk to me about, you know, different things and being isolated from the community and, um, you know, what I should do and how, uh, just different things, how I should feel and, um, you know, what, how, what things I should do to try to get myself more involved in the community. Um and in terms of the difficulties in converting in New York, um, when I was living in New York and converting, the subway system was not nearly as accessible as it is today. And so I had to take the bus every day, or every day that there was class. And it took me two hours to get up to the Upper West Side from work and two hours back. So that was a four-hour commute every day that I had to get to class. And then actually the biggest, the actual biggest um, hindrance that I had in converting was the actual day of my conversion. And it's comical today, but the day of was certainly not comical. Um, The day of my conversion, um, when 
typically when a, when women go in the mikvah, they go in during the evening. But for a conversion, converts go in during in the morning. So I sh- I er, before I went into the mikvah and before my day of conversion, I called the mikvah and I called to make sure that they were accessible. And indeed, they said yes, we are. We used to have a woman in the community that would come who was in a wheelchair, and she used to come, you know, every month. And there's a lift. Everything is accessible. So I said, okay, this is great. So I showed up, and I was greeted with a flight of stairs to get into the mikvah house. And I said, you said it was accessible. Oh, well, the mikvah is accessible, but the mikvah house has steps. So I had to leave my chair at the top of the steps of the house, and I had to be lifted by the women because um, the rabbis would not touch me because of Shomel Nagia. And so the women lifted me and brought me to the couch and sat me down, you know, and I, I one was on one side, the other lady was on the other side. You know, I'm being, like, spread, like, one side um, to the other, like, very uncomfortable. So I'm sitting on the couch, and at the same time, there's, like, these other conversions going on, and they're, they're getting to the conversions so much faster, and I'm wondering, how is this happening? I'm being interrogated for, like, 45 minutes, and these girls are being done, like, in 15 minutes. Well, it turns out that they, they were doing a reform conversion, and I'm doing an orthodox conversion, and that is a completely different baby altogether. But then... So then they say, okay, we're ready. She's, we've certified that she's ready to go into the mikvah. And the mikvah lady says, well, the mikvah is not completely filled yet because we emptied it last night and we're still filling it. Now, this is like the beginning of spring, which in, in North Carolina means it's warm. In New York, it means it's still frigidly right. cold. <laughs> so... um they're filling up the water, and she says, we'll let you know when it's full. Now, I don't know how the others had finished their conversion if the mikvah wasn't full, but they were, like, finished and done. So uh, um, I don't know. Maybe they had gone in the men's mikvah. Maybe they had gone in, like, the the mikvah for the plates. But anyways, um, finally it was full. She said, okay, we're ready. I go in, you know, I I prepare she looks she checks my nail she goes through and brushes my hair one last time I shower again then I go and and I sit in the this Hoyer lift the lift has a bungee cord on it I'm not really sure why the bungee cord is on there and neither is she but whatever so most people don't really know how a conversion goes but what happens is is there's a door to the mikvah room, and the door on the mikvah room has um, a window, and the three rabbis have to look in through that window because they have to actually see the convert's head go all the way under, including all of her hair follicles. So they have to watch her go under. Now, before I had gone, even before the day of my conversion, I begged Rabbi Schwartz, who is my conversion rabbi, to please let me wear a big extra large t-shirt, which I had read is completely kosher for a dip in the mikvah, so long as the water can go up underneath the shirt, because I was worried that maybe something could happen 
in which case, you know, I would be in a situation where there would be modesty issues. And he's like, no, I really would prefer that, you know, we do it with just nudity. Well, the day of, he's like, you know what, I've thought about things. A T-shirt or a big baggy bathrobe would be just fine. Well, thank the Lord he said that because I get on that Hoyer lift. The Mixel lady lets go of the of the bungee cord, and that Hoyer lift proceeds to spin the seat like as fast as humanly possible, and it starts to plummet down into the water because it's not functioning. It's it's just going as fast as possible. So she lunges and grabs a hold of the seat so that it doesn't plunge to my death and screams help. And so the rabbis run into the mikvah room and grab the chair to keep it from plummeting down into the water. So here these rabbis and the mikvah lady are holding the chair to keep it from going down into the water. And I'm just thinking... Thank you for this bathroom because <laughs> I would have been naked in front of my rabbi and I would have been mortified. And meanwhile, Rabbi Schwartz is like, can you please just close the bathroom just a little bit more? And I'm like, you better be grateful that this, is, that this bathroom is on me right now. So I'm like, you know, I'm terrified. I'm like shaking. I'm, I keep closing my bathroom more and more. The mikvah lady runs to go put on a bathrobe. I brought a friend of mine. She runs to go put her bathing suit on and a bathrobe. The mikvah lady goes in, comes, gets in the water. She goes down into the water and goes down in, right underneath the chair, and the rabbis slowly lower the chair as she's holding the chair underneath me into the water. Now, as my toes first touched the water, I realized that it is freezing below below freezing water I'm touching. And then the chair touches and it's freezing. The water is absolutely freezing cold, below zero water, and my whole body is entering. But I'm not the type to complain, so I didn't say a single word. Once I was in that water, I didn't say anything. The rabbis leave. They go back outside of the doorway. They close the door. Then my friend comes, steps into the water. The moment she sets one foot in that water, she goes, <gasps> So finally I get off the chair. The ladies don't realize that I can stand and walk in the water myself. So they're pulling me, which is making the situation worse. They're pulling me in the water. So I go, so I go to say the bracha, but... I'm going into hypothermia, so I'm chattering, so I can barely even make a speech because I don't have much lung capacity by this point. So he, Rabbi Schwartz is helping me say the bracha because I can barely even get anything out of my lungs. I say the bracha, I go under, he's like, I'm really sorry, Ariella, but um, not all of your hair went under because I had long hair. So again, I have to go under again. He's like, I'm really sorry, Ariella, but... You were trying to get your hair under with your hands, and one of your fingers didn't go under. Had to go under again. Third time, everything went under. He's like, okay, it's kosher, mazel tov. The 
sweet Hungarian mixed lady was like, Mazatov, Mazatov, Mazatov. And I'm like, forget the Mazatovs. Get me out of this thing. <laughs> and I was completely purple. But now they couldn't use the Hoyer lift to get me up because it's broken. So they had to drag me up the marble steps. And I had this, this, now I'm like even heavier because I have this thick, heavy bathrobe on top of me. So they're pulling me up, pulling me up. They put me in the in the shower under hot water, and I had to stay under there for like half an hour before I wasn't blue anymore. And then, then my friend was like, "I don't even know what we're gonna do when you get married." So I did some, I did some research, and I found that there are only three accessible mikvot in the entire world. One is in Jerusalem. One is in Muncie. And the other is in Miami. Wow. And that's it. Unbelievable. So one day, you know, Bizat Hashem, if I get married, I, I at least I better move to one of those towns or I've got to somehow find out a way of getting a mikvah in my neighborhood to be accessible because that's, or i got to go jump in the sea because that's the situation that women with disabilities who are from have to live with right it's absolutely incredible you're listening to the jewish reaction right here on the nachem siegel network uh presented by the ou the orthodox union my name is ellie haglum the associate director of yachad and as you've been hearing i'm being joined by ariella barker uh, a 33 year old professor of law uh with a fascinating conversion story and the fact that she is uh wheelchair bound just adds to some of the uh, conceptual differences and difficulties that she faces. Um, Ariella, talk a little bit about what it's like or what it was like growing up as a born-again Christian in North Carolina and now being an Orthodox Jew in North Carolina. What type of support system did you have either from your family or from community, both in terms of being wheelchair-bound from the age of 11, now being 33, uh, and being presumably one of a handful or a few uh, Orthodox Jews uh, in your area? Well, I'll tell you, it is seriously like night and day. Growing up in the born-again community, I was never good enough just being who I am. Every time I went to church, at least one person, typically two or three people, always had to lay hands on me to try to heal me. I was never good enough just being who I am, just being disabled. It was always, we have to perform a miracle on her. We have to try to heal her. She's not good enough the way that she is. I have to somehow try to heal her. Jesus has to intervene and heal her to the point that they would almost think that, you know, maybe God isn't isn't strong enough, so I've got to intervene even more and pull her out of her chair and force her to stand or force her to walk. And, and if we do that, then then she'll be able to walk. And it was to the point where I, I would get to where I just didn't, well, I was afraid to go to church. The last time I went to church, I told my mother, if if someone tries to pray for me, I will never go back to church again. And so she made a bargain with the pastor that, you know, my child said if someone tries to pray for her or lay hands on her, she's never going to come back to church. 
So the associate pastor said, okay, I'm going to have her sit on the very front row right next to my family. No one is going to bother with her. And sure enough, someone got up from their seat. Um, that They were sitting, like, in the middle towards the back of the sanctuary, and they came all the way back from there to the very front of the sanctuary and put their hands on my legs and said, I want to lay hands on you and pray for you. And I told her very nicely, if you want to pray for me, you can pray for me from your seat back there. You do not need to come up here and pray for me and put your hands on me. And the, and then she continued to try to convince me that, no, the, the Bible says that we need to lay hands on you. And I said, I don't care. And the associate pastor just gave her a very nasty look and told her to go back and sit back down. And afterwards... He came out and he did apologize to me, and that was actually the first and only time that a Christian member of the clergy ever apologized to me for that. Normally, they were always actually participating in the in the attempts to heal me and laying hands on me. Um, but when things were bad and things got rough or I was sick, they were never there for me. They were they were never there to see me in the hospital. They were never there for me when I got sick. They were never there for me to bring me food. There was no charity involved there. It was all about, you know, trying to heal me to make them look like they were they were so blessed by God. I mean, even even the pastor of our church professed to be a prophet of God. It was a completely different, I mean, just a completely different environment from what, you know, I believe in today. And and now, like last year, I was very, 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 very sick. I was in the hospital for nine months. And part of the time I was in California during those nine months, and the rest of the time here in Charlotte. And my rabbi, um, who actually is out of New York, because he is one of my conversion rabbis, Rabbi Maury Kelman, um, he made sure that someone from the Orthodox community, um, wherever I was, always came to visit me. And they did. They always came. They brought food all the time, everywhere I was. They came and visited me in the hospital. They brought food. Here in Charlotte, a woman came and brought food. Her, She had her kids write little cards and brought little cards that hung up on my in my hospital room. Um, always brought food. Came to visit and didn't just come to visit to say, hi, how are you, and left in five minutes. Sat down and stayed for an hour, two hours, and this woman has nine children and a newborn baby. And she stayed just to to give me company. I mean, it's an entirely different um, situation, an entirely different environment. When I go to shul, no one tries to make me better or make me a different person or try to heal me. Um, you know, the, there are, I'm not trying to say that that the Orthodox or the Jewish religion is perfect by no means. You know, there are there are issues, you know, there's there's issues with the fact that oftentimes women's sections are not accessible, and I end up having to sit in men's sections, and then a lot of times 
the men feel very uncomfortable and they make me feel uncomfortable, which it's not supposed to be like that. If I'm sitting in the back of the men's section, then that shouldn't be an issue. But in the, for the most part, you know, Judaism and the Jewish community have it right and know what it is to be charitable. And they and they do it right. And the Christian community, or at least the one that I was raised in, they don't have it right. So um, having been sick for so long, um, you know, I've really seen the difference in the two religions over that period of time. So, But living in North Carolina, what is life like for you religiously um, in Charlotte, North Carolina? Um, it's hard. I'm very, very isolated. Um, the only religious community is about a 45-minute drive away from where I live. And, um, I mean, there are... There is, like, a, a reform community about a 15-minute hour, a 15-minute drive away from there, away from here. But, you know, reform communities, you know, they meet, like, once a month on a Shabbos. And, it's, and first of all, I would never drive to shul. And second of all, I don't really think that I would ever even go to a reform shul because it just doesn't go along with my beliefs. Um, but I, I do, um, I am starting to go to classes in the, um, in the Orthodox community that's 45 minutes away. They meet on Tuesdays, although they've stopped over the summer, so I have to wait until the fall. Do you have a car? Are you able Um, to easily get from place to place? So... I don't yet have a car. My mom has a car, so my mom drives me, and she actually enjoys going. I have a friend who actually also was an adjunct professor at the Charlotte School of Law that I've made, and he goes to them. So at least I have, I've have i made a friend in the community, um, and it's my way of just kind of making friends, at least, in the community. Um there's no modern Orthodox community whatsoever in Charlotte. So, I mean, really, the way that I'm looking at it is this is kind of, I'm hoping, a temporary place for me to live just until I get my feet on the ground. Um, and after a year of teaching, I'm hoping to either move back to New York or maybe move to California and either go back to my job in New York and continue pursuing litigation or or just continue doing academia. But um, simply because I'm just so isolated from the community and it's not it's not good for me. It's it's very um it's depressing not not having your religion, you know, I mean I still keep kosher. It's very difficult. Um you know, I mean, I, I smell like my grandparents live upstairs from me, and my mom and I live downstairs, and my mom cooks kosher for me. She's learned a lot. Um, you know, I've taught her how to cook kosher, so she she cooks kosher for me, And um, but I smell the whiffs of ham and pork and all that kind of stuff. 
it definitely sounds like an ongoing struggle, but it seems like you've been figuring out and you're trying to make the best of the situation. I'm trying that you're to in. make the best of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that you know we all were in isolation. We've all been, you know, we were in the desert desert for 40 years. So if we could be in the desert for 40 years, I can be in Charlotte for a couple of years, right? <laughs> I guess that's a great way to look at it. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yacha, and I'm on the phone uh, from North Carolina with Ariella Barker, um, who actually mentioned before that she might be looking uh, the year after next to potentially move back to New York or to California. Uh, but Ariella actually has a very interesting uh, trip coming up uh, to the West Coast that we'll get into uh, in just a minute. But just before then, uh, here's a selection from God Elbaz. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad. And we're on the phone with Ariella Barker, who we've been speaking with uh, this entire show, uh, who is, uh, has been wheelchair-bound since the age of 11 and has converted uh, to Judaism and has had a fascinating story. Uh, of her upbringing and eventually making Aliyah and then coming back to the States. Uh, and now is a, this coming year will be a professor of law at the Charlotte School of Law. But what we really want to focus on now for just a few minutes is an upcoming trip that Ariella is going to be taking uh, to the West Coast to California. Ariella, tell us a little bit about what this is and how you became one of the people who are going to the West Coast. So, um... So it starts really with when I was a teenager, I met I met a woman, and she was my first role model. She was probably my age um, at the time, and she had my disability. Um, she was a beautiful woman, inside and out. She was married with a daughter, and she owned her own business. And... I saw her, and she was a role model to me because I saw her and thought, if she can do these things and she can have a normal life just like any other person, then I can achieve my dreams and have a normal life like any other person. And she had been a former Miss Wheelchair North Carolina, and I had completely forgotten all about it. And then on Facebook earlier this year, I saw that a Miss Wheelchair New York had participated in New York Fashion Week by being one of the models in um in in New York Fashion Week on on a in a runway show and i thought how cool is that because really we need more people with disabilities out there in fashion in the media um, bringing about more awareness to general society about who we really are because the way me- the media is now, even though it has gotten better and there are more disabled characters out there and there are more actors with disabilities out there, um, there still needs to be so much more. And um, And I thought maybe I could run for Miss Wheelchair North Carolina, and maybe I could do something about that. So I went online that day, and I saw that there, were, that there was the pageant coming up soon. So I said, I'm going to apply. And I contacted them directly, and the woman, the coordinator, was so excited to have a new applicant. And so I applied, and that was in February, and the pageant was in April. And I won, and I couldn't believe it. So I won. And, well, Ariella, um, before you can talk a little bit about the pageant itself and what the role of Miss Wheelchair North Carolina or Miss Wheelchair is, it's not just a beauty pageant. No, it's not. It's not at all. It's not a beauty pageant. They do not judge based on beauty. I mean, there's there's this tiny aspect of, of a beauty pageant, and that's only in the, you know, they have you dress up a little bit. You know, you, you're supposed to wear, like, a nice, fancy dress, and you're supposed to, um, you know, they have, like, 
people there that do your makeup and your hair if you want them to. You don't have to. You can do it yourself. Um, but that's about the extent of which it's a pageant. There's no, like, talent. There's no swimsuit. I'm, God forbid, if there was, I would never, ever, ever do this. Um, it's The title is only um, for someone to... Um, do disability advocacy and awareness. So what it is is um, you go in front of judges and you're interviewed, and it's just an interview process. They're basically interviewing you to see, you know, which contestant would be a better example, the best example of um, of of what an individual with dis- with a disability is of who an individual with a disability is and um and who would be able to um bring across the best message who would be able to bring about awareness in the best way um you know who's going to be able to advocate to the best of their ability. So, you know, some people um, may not be as well-spoken, so or some people may not be very well-educated. Um, so they're looking, you know, they're looking for people who are really, uh, there are fighters that can advocate, that can get things done, that can get laws passed, that can um, speak to politicians, that can um speak to film directors that can speak to people in the media that can go on TV and speak on TV um you know do all these things that need to be done to bring about awareness and advocacy so that's what they're looking for they are not looking for you know someone who looks pretty in a nice dress with curls in their hair that's not what it's about and um and they ask hard questions they do they ask questions about Obamacare, and they ask about cuts in Medicaid, and they ask about, um, you know, um, they ask about questions about um, housing and, um, you know, individuals with disabilities and being underemployed and unemployed and being on SSDI and SSI. They ask hard questions, so they're looking for someone who can answer those hard questions and be able to problem solve. So that's what they're looking for, and um, and once you are once you and then and then you have to have a platform. So some the people that I um, that I uh, competed against. Um, I forgot I forgot a lot of their platforms. I remember one girl, her platform was that tables in restaurants should be adjustable so that people, um, people that use power wheelchairs can um, go up underneath the table and have better access underneath the table. Um, so, I mean, it's a good idea, but is it... Is it a is it a great idea that's going to change the world for individuals with disabilities? Probably not. 
Um, my 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 platform is that the media has falsely portrayed people with disabilities and that they have underrepresented people with disabilities in film and television. And therefore, um, misshapen society's view of individuals with disabilities. So that's more of a broad thing that if that were to change, that would um, really change so much. Um, that would change so much of issues that we have as individuals with disabilities. I mean, so much of my life and things that go wrong, so much of discrimination against people with disabilities is basically based on ignorance and perception. And where ignorance and perception comes from is from ideas that they get in their head from other from from other places. And most people get those ideas from television and from the movies. And if you're watching um, TV and you're watching, you know, if you're watching, let's say, Glee, and you see the kid Artie, you're going to think, well, I guess kids with disabilities are all geeks, and they're all nerdy, and they all dream of um, walking, and um, and that's and they're all the only way that they'll be made whole, and the only way that they're perfect is if they're walking, because on Glee several episodes is like when he's in a dream he's walking or what he wants for Christmas is this new apparatus that makes him be a robot and walk or you know all these different ways of him walking but then you have better shows like House where House is a person who does have a disability but he just has a disability, but you don't really focus on his disability. You focus on the fact that he's just brilliant. You focus on the fact that he has a sarcastic, funny sense of humor. You focus on the fact that he's rude and obnoxious. His disability isn't something that you really focus on, and that's what we as individuals with disabilities want. We want you to focus on who we are, not on our disability. Um, Ariella, we only have about a minute left, uh, but if it's okay with you, I'm definitely going to ask you back to do a second show because I think there's so much more uh, to that touch on here. But just just let everybody know when is um, – so you're going to be going out to California for the uh, Miss Wheel- Wheelchair USA uh, part of the competition. When is that? Miss Wheelchair America. Yes. Miss Wheelchair there's, America. There's actually a Miss Wheelchair USA too, which is not the same thing. I learned that also. Okay. So, yes, so it's Miss America. When is it? It is August 4th through the 10th. And that's in, it's in San Diego? It's in um, Long Beach, California, Long Beach. right outside of L.A. Okay, excellent. Um, look, I'm, we're going to try to have you on one more time, definitely beforehand. Uh, and then okay, hopefully great. afterwards when we'll be speaking to uh, potentially the new Miss Wheelchair USA. Okay, I hope so. Ariella, thank you so so much much, for joining us. You've been listening to the Jewish Reaction right here 
on the Nachum Siegel Network. Of course, you can email me anytime with questions, ideas, thoughts, or anything else uh, at Eli, E-L-I, at NachumSiegel.com. Ariella, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's Ariella Barker. Calling us from North Carolina about the upcoming Miss Wheelchair USA competition that she'll be taking part in. We wish you the best of luck from all of us and at the Nachum Siegel Network and at Yachad. Uh, do a great job and make us proud, and we look forward to having you again. Thank you. Just make sure you can catch us here every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10. You've been listening to The Jewish Reaction at NachumSiegel.com.